got a question for all of you in America who seem to have this question on the tip of their tongue and are struggling to come up with an answer to. Why does the state of American health care continue to seem to be broken? It's a question that we're all still scratching our heads over in an attempt to come up with a suitable answer. However, there doesn't seem to be one, and I've got statistical evidence to back up what I'm claiming. For the first time in nearly two decades, Gallup says that Americans are unhappy with the state of their health care by nearly an average of 50%. The publication says that we're seeing a trend two decades in the making, with 48% of Americans reporting the state of health care excellent or good in the U.S. Meanwhile, the slight majority now rates the state of health care as subpar or fair at a rate of 31%, and a new high of 21% calling the state of healthcare in America poor or unacceptable. The findings originate from Gallup's annual health and healthcare survey. The latest update was conducted between November 9th and December 2nd of 2022. So, when it comes to women's health care in particular, how do we reverse this troubling and alarming trend? One woman with a myriad of constructive and helpful suggestions is Amanda Layton. She is a women's health care advocate who's on a mission to to help women and other individuals use their voices to advocate for health care equality. To change an outdated system that wasn't designed for them. She spent years being undiagnosed with a disease known as adenomyosis. The disease caused Amanda immense pain, and robbed her of the ability to have children. She went through immense suffering, and once she found out that the doctors who helped her perform her IVF treatments were using her as a cash register, she was determined to rewrite the script and find for women's health care and equality. And Leighton joined me this week to detail her, her courageous and incredible story of resilience, perseverance, and inspiration, and how she's fighting to fix a broken system. I'm Kevin McShane. Let's have this conversation.
Amanda. I'll take a moment to welcome you to the program. And I'm super excited to learn about your medical and healthcare journey today. Great to see you and happy uh, San Diego Thursday to you. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So, Amanda, I, 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 start our, I wanted to start our conversation by asking you your uh, concept of resilience, because I know you've Ooh. had quite the journey. So before we dive into your story, tell me, what do you think about the concept of resilience and what comes to mind for you? It's such a great question. I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that. You know, I've talked about resilience in terms of how we continue to put one foot in front of the other every single day despite obstacles. And so that's what I think about when I think about resiliency or being resilient. I don't always love people telling you that you have to be resilient because, you know, we're human beings and we have a wide range of emotions. And some days it's like, I don't feel like being resilient. I feel like being vulnerable and, um, you know, crying or, you know, not getting out of bed today. And so, you know, for me, it is really about continuing to put one foot in front of the other and know that um, we do oftentimes, a lot of us have choices. And so what choice am I going to make today? Uh, that might be different from a choice I made yesterday. Well, <laughs> depending on the side of the bed you get up on in the morning. <laughs> right? no, I'm very true. Very true. Absolutely. And you, I know your overall mission, Amanda, is to help women find their voices and individuals when it comes to navigating the healthcare system because it's not set up for the average person to succeed in your view. So tell me about your mission and how it's going. Yeah. So, you know, really, as you just explained, it's really to help people find their voices and um, make choices that work for them. And, in, in, you know, I'm in America, so our healthcare system was not set up for women, was not set up for people of color, was not set up for underrepresented folks. And so, you know, really, it's about being able to help people to advocate for themselves, to find the right practitioners, and on the flip side, to help practitioners really come to the medical system with an empathetic, human-centric approach. So, you know, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to dismantle in the system. Um, and some days it can feel really daunting, but I know that with sharing other people's stories, with sharing my story, people can kind of see themselves in that sometimes. And they also feel a sense of encouragement that there are options out there that they can use their voices. And yeah, I mean, again, just every day trying to share the story so that we can create some change to help more of us, not just um, really white men who the system was set up for. Absolutely. And, you know, man, I wanted to ask you your concept of humanity for all, all when it mm -hmm. comes to inclusion and the concept of including everyone, not only in healthcare, but in life. So what's your concept or definition of humanity for all? Mm, such a great question. You know, we have to recognize that um, there are differences and, you know, equity means that we recognize that there are differences and that people are starting at different places and some of us are starting at a disadvantage. And so, you know, when we think about um, humanity for all, 
or equity, I think we kind of have to start there. You know, we are not all starting at the same starting point in life. And we have to understand that there are barriers that have been set up in our systems and our structures that don't allow us, a lot of us, to have um, even close to equality or close to being treated like human beings. I mean, there's a lot going on right now in society. And we sometimes have to stop to think about how is that going to affect the human being? And I think some of that's being lost right now. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> you yeah. went off on a little tangent. <laughs> Absolutely. And you you uh, set me up nicely for my follow-up. You know, about it, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast uh, three and a half years ago now is I looked at the world and I said, there's more that uh, tears us apart than brings us to mm. together. So I wanted to create a platform where people could feel like we're building bridges of unity. So that's one of the major reasons I wanted to start this podcast. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about closing the deficit of division and also creating more avenues of kindness. And your view, in your view, how do we get that done? Uh, wow. Um, I think it's really the starting point is conversations. You know, somehow we've lost that art to listen to one another, to approach each other with empathy. And I think if people had more conversations with one another, tried to understand each other's perspectives, we would recognize that we have more commonalities sometimes than we have differences. Um, the other thing, and this gets into another tangent is, and I talk about this sometimes just around what sources are we listening to? You know, the media has, you know, great gains to be made to divide us. And, you know, if we just had conversations with our neighbors, with people that were different from us, if we sought out difference and heard other people's stories, I think that could start to close the gap. Yeah, absolutely. So, Amanda, let's dive into your story and your sure. real personal, personal connection, is it for me to say, personal connection to fighting for women's health care and equality. What, why is it so important to, to you? Tell me a little bit about your story as well. Sure. So I went, I don't know, probably about 20 years without being diagnosed with the disease that I have which is called adenomyosis. Now, adenomyosis is a cousin of endometriosis, and they often travel together. It's a female disease. It presents itself in your uterus and in the endometrin um, of your uterus. So endo and adeno present themselves differently in the body. Adeno is in the muscle lining walls of your uterus, and endometriosis is on the outside. Now, both can can grow into different organs, and I'm, I should say I'm not a medical doctor. I just have the disease. So I went 20, at least 20 years without being diagnosed with it, very painful periods, debilitating. Um, you know, I would be in bed sometimes three days out of every month. I would have to plan my schedule around it. And when I finally got diagnosed, it was too late. So I had gone, you know, these 20 years being dismissed by doctors, doctors telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know my body. They went to medical school. They're the experts. And then come to find out by the time I got diagnosed, it was diffused, meaning it was everywhere in my uterus. So at that point, I was also told I would never be able to carry a baby to full term and that the only cure for this disease is to remove your uterus. Um, so ultimately, I did have to have my uterus removed because um, the 
adeno was growing and growing into some of my other organs and it was life-threatening and um that's the path i had to take now when i went for my two-week post-op we asked the doctor a question the surgeon a question which was well my ex did saying you know why didn't amanda ever get diagnosed with this disease you know we went through all these rounds of ivf she had so many ultrasounds so many mris all these things and the surgeon laughed and she said it was in the IVF doctor's best interests not to diagnose Amanda because she was a money-making machine for them. So that infuriated me. And I thought, and I don't know if people listening to this, if they can see me, I'm an educated white woman. I'm from the Midwest of America. And I thought, what is everybody else experiencing? If I got this treatment, what about everybody else? And so I started down this path and this quest to kind of uncover, demystify, um, talk about some of these healthcare issues and to hopefully help women, like I said, and um, gender nonconforming folks and underrepresented people to find a way to navigate this system, which is can be very awful for some people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some people aren't uh, natural advocates, right? So, well, when we look at advocating for ourselves, I'm just curious if you could go into why it's so important for people to know their healthcare value and really value their healthcare and their rights. So why do you think people should be passionate about advocating for themselves? Uh, well, I think in all areas of life, really, you know, I mean, it's important to advocate for ourselves everywhere. This medical system is complex. You know, there's there's bills we get. So I'll, I'll use an example. When I got my bill for my hysterectomy, and luckily I had insur health insurance at the time, it was $196,000 US dollars. Now, <laughs> that didn't include the anesthesiologist and his work. $196,000. That would take people down. You know, that takes a lot of people down. People suffer. One of the main reasons why people go bankrupt is medical debt. And so if you don't understand what you're being billed, that you don't have to sign per certain paperwork, that um, you can bring somebody in to advocate for you on your behalf, you know, there's things that I just want people to know and hear, especially if they're facing some major healthcare issue, some major challenge, that there are ways, if it's not you and you're not a natural advocate, you can bring somebody with you. You can get a hospital appointed advocate. You can talk to people. There are methods and avenues that you can leverage so that you don't go have to th go through what I went through, um, what some other people are going through. And so it's it's just really important, I think, for people to know that you don't, yes, doesn't always have to be the answer to some of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Amanda, I'm going to give you the, the uh, platform and the floor, for better or for worse, to dive into the current state of the American oh. health care system. Because, you know, uh, here in Canada, uh, some health care services are free. Uh, and yeah. over in the States, they're not. So, when you look at uh, the state of the healthcare system, I guess what frustrates you the most when you look at the state of American healthcare? Um, I think a couple of things. Number one, that we don't view um, healthcare as a right for people. You know, why isn't why don't we have standardized healthcare? Why can't why 
why is it privatized? You know, why aren't people allowed to go to the hospital who don't have health insurance? It's appalling to me that we don't look at human beings like human beings and say every human being that lives in America, I mean, we are a wealthy country. Every human being that lives in America should have access to healthcare, period, end of story. That frustrates me. And that the fact that that has been politicized um, is, is frankly disgusting to me and appalling. The second thing is around um, the dismantling of women's rights here in America and access to uh, safe abortions should women want them, access to um, health care. You know, when when Roe v. Wade um, was overturned last year, we knew from statistics and looking at what would happen, we knew that it would disproportionately affect black and brown women in the United States. And to me, that's based on, you know, our system of racism here, our deep-rooted system of racism in America. You know, that really frustrates me. And, you know, women, sorry, men, particularly white men, look at our Supreme Court thinking that they can um, control our bodies is so frustrating to me. And it's, you know, that's just one of their siren calls. It's not really what they're going after, right? I mean, sure, they you know, it just shows us that we don't value, we don't think women are equal in American society. So those are huge, um, you know, issues that I know people come at me for, right? Because there's a lot of opinions about some of those things. And as I said, they've been politicized. Um, Religion has gotten into the mix. And, um, but those are things that really, really bother me. And then we're looking at how this is disproportionately affecting black and brown women in America. And it's it's really frustrating and really sad. Yeah. So just to follow up, how do you think we can lower um, the political sort of tension when it comes to healthcare? Because you know, no, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you're passionate about this issue. And, and you know, from looking at it from afar, you know, I uh, look at it and I say that healthcare, uh, no matter. What, what stage of life you're in or uh, or how much money you make. You shouldn't have to uh, choose between quality health care and eating. So how do you yeah. think we can lower the political temperature when it comes to fighting for health care? Oh, I wish I knew the answer to that. Then you would be a billionaire, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I would give you some just because you asked me that on this podcast. <laughs> some okay. of that cash, right? <laughs> I'll only take 15%, I promise, okay? <laughs> um, you know, I think part of it is it. this goes back to, you know, what you asked me before around conversations and humanity. You know, if we really start to have conversations with people, we'll find that, we're not so far apart. I mean, I'll give another example. So um, I had healthcare through my ex-husband and I'm now, I'm a small business owner. I'm now about to go out to market to get myself some um, health insurance. Sorry, did I say healthcare? Health insurance. Um, Original quote on health insurance for me, a single female is over a thousand US dollars a month. I'm a small business owner. That's a lot of money. So if we start to look at things like that in terms of, you know, why would that be? Why, why is that the case that we're going to charge somebody that much money to just go see the doctor on a, you know, when they get sick and start to have conversations around stories and what this actually means for families when they can't afford it, when they can't afford it, like you said, when they're choosing between their health or eating, 
I think that brings some, you know, more humanity to it. I think the other thing is start to pay attention. You know, start to pay attention to your local representatives, who you're who you're voting into office, and you know how that's going to affect your family. Um, so I wish I knew the answer. You know, I think part of it is again just having these conversations. Well, you could have just said elections have consequences, and I would have accepted that answer. Right <laughs> you're better at bottom lining it than I am. There we go. But I mean, if if we don't know that by now, that's pretty scary. Well, <laughs> we learn and then we learn and then we regret, right? No, I'm right, kidding. right. <laughs> so Amanda, when you talk to women on the street, or when you talk to women. You know, there's so much there. I think every single woman that I have spoken to or gender non-conforming person that I've spoken to, whether on my podcast or, as you said, walking the street, every single woman has a story of their own, meaning whether they were dismissed in the healthcare system, whether they received an undiagnosis, misdiagnosis, they watched a loved one suffer in the hospital care system. Now, I want to caveat this by saying there are amazing medical health practitioners out there. There absolutely are. It's the system that's really not working for anyone. So, you know, I think number one, all women that I speak to have a story, unfortunately. And number two, the other thing that I'm hearing is a major concern for some of them is that if they have children or in particular daughters is making sure that they have the same rights that their mothers that they had growing up. Um, and making sure that they get the education they need to understand their bodies. Those are the things that I'm really hearing that are a major concern for women right now. Yeah, and I'm going to put you in uh, the shoes of doctors in America. When you, uh, if you, you are a doctor today, what do you think is some of the kitchen table issues that doctors are really concerned about where they don't feel as if they have control over what's happening in healthcare today. So if you're on the other side of the aisle as a doctor who's compassionate and wants to see the necessary changes or uh, revisions to the healthcare system, what do you think doctors would tell you as well? Mm. You know, I know a lot of doctors. I have empathy for them. They are burned out. You know, they just like, especially after the pandemic, um, how much they were working, they are so burned out. And I feel for them. You know, I think they're also trying to find solutions. A lot of them want to come out of the system. Or, you know, what we're going to see is we're going to see a slide where nurses, doctors, other practitioners are going to leave the medical system in rapid succession in the next few years because of the pressure that's being put onto them. So I think they would say, you know, their jobs are really, really hard. And what's the solution? Because if they come out of the system, they don't get paid the same dollar amount that they would get paid with insurance, right? Um, then they're looking for private individuals who are paying them out of pocket. So then that also leaves a swath of the public that can't afford them. So, you know, there's no right or easy answer, but I would say, you know, they, it's, I've spoken to doctors and I feel for them and it's hard. It is hard for them. Yeah, for sure. So under that context, what do you think it means to define women's empowerment and equality in healthcare today? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it just goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is 
each of us has a voice and our voices collectively are powerful. And when we come together to collaborate, to share story, to share resources, um, we become even more empowered. And that's where change starts to happen. We don't have equality right now in a lot of areas in in, um, our society. And, uh, you know, scarily, it looks like some of that is sliding backwards. And so, you know, I just really think that in terms of empowerment, it's allowing women to use their voices, share their voices, and um, be a beacon for change. Yeah. And, you know, Amanda, I'm not sure how much research you did on me, my friend. And one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you today was because you know, Amanda, I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. Anybody that lis- listens to my podcast knows that, and they know that I have a, an intense passion for fighting for folks uh, with disabilities, because when you look at the healthcare system for uh, folks with disabilities, <laughs> no matter what side of the border you're on, there's a short, short, sort of deficit of equality and access. So when we look mm. at fighting for healthcare rights for folks with disabilities, what what do you think we should zero in on to make sure that we can break down those barriers to healthcare? Well, yeah, gosh, that's a big question. I'm trying to think about you know, what's one thing that we could potentially do? I mean, I think to me this also goes back to equity, which is and and you you said it too access especially when we think about in our society here in America we're a massive country and we have people of all walks of life um, um also you know maybe who aren't able bodied or have another disease who just don't have access to doctors and to medical practitioners so i think part of it is really thinking about our landscape and getting those folks the resources they need uh, the education they need to be able to um, get access to the healthcare practitioners they need it's yeah such a great question and now i'm going to be noodling on it even more and wish i probably would have changed my answer well you know it's <laughs> And you know, that's the whole point of my podcast, eh? <laughs> start conversations, right? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, generally, Amanda, I'm curious to get your, your definition of the word inclusion, because, you know, it can be a lot to a lot of people, but generally, what do you think the word inclusion means, and how can we maximize that, that word for the most amount of people? Whoa. Um, you know, when I think about it kind of in the healthcare space or even in the corporate space, I think about it in terms of making sure that we understand the types of populations and people we have um, within our structures, within our society, and that they feel that they also are valued and that they're, again, their voices are being heard. So to me, that's how I think about it in terms of um, organizations in terms of the healthcare space as well. I mean, if we, again, use an example around um, certain, you know, scientific advancements, for for example, historically, women haven't even been 
uh, thought about or included in certain research studies. So how can we go back to having inclusion and equity and equality when women are a secondary thought when it comes to scientific advancements? You know, things like that. We're not looking at the um, intersectionality and the diversity of our of our society and our population in a lot of areas. So I hope I answered your question. And now I'm like, I know there was a part two to it. And did I answer part two? <laughs> no, that's totally fine. The general question was about inclusion and how, yeah. how we can maximize it for, for mm. the most amount of people. And you answered that. So good for you. No, I, I, You're throwing the tough questions at me today. Well, you know, we can take the power of research for that, okay? <laughs> and Amanda, I'm, I'm curious to ask you, when you think about your greatest hope for the future of healthcare, how do we get people invested in the fight for healthcare and start the conversation? Well, you know, unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, we are going to know somebody in our orbit, whether it's a family member, a spouse, a friend, a colleague who has um, some type of health event or health incident. And, you know, we should, again, go back to looking at it in terms of humanity. We should all care about it because we're living next to and breathing next to these human beings who need um, access to healthcare, who need the support. And so I hope that you know, it's not at the point where it's too late for somebody because now they're navigating a system um, that isn't working for them. I hope they start to look at it by giving more compassion towards their neighbors to thinking about who's in their families and doing the research before it kind of is too late. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my hope. I also, you know, I'm hopeful about these younger generations that are coming up, particularly with their lenses that that they have, which are really around um, intersectionality and inclusion. And I'm I'm very, very hopeful that this next generation coming up or these next few generations are going to be not that it's, you know, it's, it's a burden on them to fix things that other generations created, but I really hope that um, they create change. Yeah. And Amanda, for anyone watching or listening to this who has been an advocate in the past, but is passionate about the issue of healthcare. I'm curious, how would you encourage them to get involved involved in the conversation? I think, you know, pick the topic that's important to you. So, you know, whether it's um, a woman or somebody in your family who has um, suffered from, you know, breast cancer or somebody like me who has adeno or endo, you know, maybe it's another part of the system. Maybe it's even going into the hospital system and getting trained as an advocate for people um, who need care. So to me, it's really about um, if you have been an advocate in the past, what are you really passionate about right now? And where can you make your mark, uh, even if it's a small dent in creating some change and helping, you know, another person along the way? Yeah, and I'm curious to ask you about your philosophy when it comes uh, to self-reflection with your journey in healthcare mm -hmm. and how empowering self-reflection and, and sort of uh, being with yourself and your thoughts can really truly be because it can be a powerful uh, exercise to get through, can it? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's not lost on me, um, the disease that I had, 
um, I'm, I'm very, I, I reflect on it a lot and I'll just share part of my thinking around it, which is, so I was born on mother's day. Um, I was the first baby born on mother's day in my hometown. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. And, um, my mom left when I was two and she was in and out of my life. And then the disease that I had, um, took away my uterus and my ability to be a biological mother. Now, none of that is lost on me. And I think about it and I think, you know, we can go through these things sometimes of like, well, why me? I think why me? Because um, I stopped some intergenerational trauma that needed to be stopped that was passed down the lineage of my family, particularly the mothers, the females in my family. And then I was able to rally and say, oh, I can be a voice for others that maybe don't have one or need somebody to support them. So I'm very self-reflective when it comes to that. I think um, meditation also helps and doing some inner work and being alone, as you said, with your thoughts is really helpful to figure out, you know, what change do I want to create in society and how can I lend my voice to it? Yeah, and Amanda, I'm going to end on a two-part question. And the first, okay. well, uh, the first question is, how do you define prosperity in life and maximizing mm. prosperity? And the second part of that question is how I end all of my podcasts by asking you, when you reflect on your personal and professional legacy, how do you want that to be defined? Mm. So prosperity to me is, you know, I think I look at the collective again. So um, meaning how can any of us be prosperous if we're leaving others behind? And I think about that a lot in terms of how do we help to lift each other up? That to me is a sign of prosperity, of a society's prosperity, of your own personal prosperity and your own personal success. So that's how I think about it. And then in terms of, you know, what... Can you brief, can you tell me the phrase that you used again for the question, the second question around how do I want to be? Yeah, I was just curious about your legacy and how you mm, wanted yeah. it to be defined both personally and professionally. So I think there's two things there. One is if I have touched one person's life through my story or helped to create some change or given them um, the courage to use their voice. I think I've done my job, <laughs> um, so to speak. And then the second thing is around, you know, getting louder, meaning, especially here in America, we're being silenced, right? And there are a lot of people being silenced, mainly women and people of color, I would say too. And so I feel like it's my job to get louder, to stand taller, to um, shout, to shout high, like to shout even more because. Um, until in you know, until all of us can do that, it's not going to change. And so I, I think, you know, my legacy. If when I'm no longer here in this body, I want people to remember that. Um, so yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, and, and, and finally, if people want to uh, get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? And I didn't ask you about your podcast too. too so tell me all about it and sure. what it's all about. Yeah. So my podcast is called Period to Pause. It's a double entendre. So um, Period to Pause, where we talk about everything from period to menopause and everything in between, not just for women, uh, women, gender nonconforming folks, men, everyone. So um, I love digging into topics that we need to bring to the fore, mainly around healthcare, um, but also around social justice issues. 
And the double entendre piece is that sometimes, you know, we just all need a moment to pause and to reflect and to think about what's happened in our lives. So people can find me there, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And then my website is www.periodtopause.com. And you can email me at amanda at periodtopause.com. So I'm easy to find. You can Google me. <laughs> well, fabulous, Amanda. I have to tell you that, uh, you, you know, I think we've both been fighting for healthcare quality for a long time. So I really enjoyed this conversation. And I want to thank you for your efforts in contributing to the conversation of equitable healthcare and your work in the space. Mm-hmm. And time on my behalf is most appreciated. And I want to thank you for the privilege of engaging in conversation with you and answering my questions this afternoon. It's most appreciated. Oh, Kevin, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. So um, thank you. Thank you for having me.